My name is Curtis Merriweather Jr. You are listening to the Business Profit Podcast. Are you an aspiring, new, or seasoned business professional? Then you're in the right place. This podcast is unlike other podcasts because we seek to create a synergistic relationship between business and theology. The insights shared on this podcast will stir your faith and give you the push needed to realize new dimensions as either a current or emerging business leader. Like many of you, I'm called to the marketplace. The boardroom is my pulpit. Therefore, I invite you to travel along this learning odyssey with me. So buckle up. Let's go. Hey, this is Curtis Merriweather. Welcome to the Business Profit Podcast. Well, guys, before we get started today, you know, I have an omission that I'd like to make to you. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but we have rebranded this podcast. So I don't know how long you've been listening. Prior to this episode, this podcast was called the Business Theologist Podcast. And I knew that I was supposed to name it something different, which has now been properly rebranded the Business Profit Podcast. And although, you know, many of you guys know I do profess Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, um, and no, by no means am I perfect. Um, you know, this is a work that we all work to try to perfect and cre- create and cultivate relationship with Christ. At least that's what we should be doing. I don't disrespect anyone else's um, religious affiliation or who you serve, but I serve him. Um, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, none of us are. But, you know, I had to do what I felt like I needed to do, which was rebrand this podcast. And so the whole format of this podcast going forward, um, it's going to change. You know, I did a podcast episode in the first season. I didn't have a guest. I'm not saying we won't have guests because we will have some guests here and there. Um, But mainly, I just want to share my experiences. And I got a lot of private messages on one particular podcast episode where I talked about my story. And I talked about how, you know, the loss of my my wife and how I had to really pick myself um, back up again. So for those who may not have listened to prior uh, episodes, this may be your first time tuning in. First of all, welcome. Glad to have you. Um, But second, you know, I lost my spouse in 2014 to um, uh, a terminal disease. And I talked about in that prior episode how I had to fight my way back and how I had to rely on God to help me um, quiet my mind and to find peace and what that process looked like. That episode, I wasn't even going to put that particular episode out because the audio was bad. It sounded lackluster. But I got messages around that episode and how people say it really helped them. And uh, I was super thankful to get that feedback. But one of the things we're going to do in this relaunch of this podcast is to really give you tangible action steps. I'm going to be very transparent with my life because I just really want to help people. And I can bring on a whole bunch of guests, as you guys know, from the previous season. 
you know, I have some very um, prolific, influential people in my Rolodex that I could bring to the podcast. But we don't just want to be another podcast with a bunch of interviews. Um, I believe that one of the things that um, I am charged to do, one of the assignments that I've taken on, is to show people how to take their relationship with Christ and successfully navigate the marketplace. You know, I believe that you are just as anointed entrepreneur, entrepreneur, executive manager. I believe you are just as anointed as your pastor, your prophet, your evangelist or favorite teacher or apostle. I believe you are just as anointed in the boardroom on your zoom conference in high stakes negotiations and recruiting, whatever your role may be in your corporation. I believe you are just as anointed as the man or woman of God. Now, many of you guys know, I do have a background. Um, my, my father was, or is still a non-denominational pastor in Georgia. So I've always held on to my Christian beliefs. I do not, again, do not um, respect, I respect your personal belief systems and whoever you serve, but just for this particular podcast, most of the time when I talk about my, my faith, I'm talking about my relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, by no stretch of the imagination am I perfect, nor are any of us for that matter. But, um, you know, one of the things I really want to stress on this podcast is, you know, really figuring out, really providing language about how to find success in the marketplace. You know, in the marketplace, there's an ebb and a flow. There's ups and there's downs. You know, I was, I was actually reviewing a video that I did on my YouTube a few weeks ago, or actually last year. And in that particular episode, I was talking about burning your boats. And I was talking about how, you know, in the um, colonial days, I believe, you know, generals would go into new territories and they would oftentimes unload the troops and they would burn the boats. And you say, well, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Burn the boats. How did you go from business to your faith to now talking about burning boats? Well, I, I want to make something very clear. Um, the thing I want to make clear is sometimes you have to um, remove the alternative path. So what these generals did was they would go into a new territory they were trying to conquer, and they would set the boats on fire. They set the boats on fire because they wanted their soldiers to know that there was no escape. There was no way that they were leaving that land. They were either going to conquer or they were going to die fighting. And I think oftentimes we haven't burned our boats. We go into these new territories and we're already thinking about plan B. Well, first thing I ask you is, did you hear from God? Did you consult him about the career path? Did you consult him about the new business adventure or venture that you're taking on? And if you've heard from him, we have to stand flat footed and believe that he's going to help us. He's going to help us recruit the talent and the potential that we need to make that venture successful. I need you to understand that no man is an island unto himself. And most of the things that we accomplish, we're going to do it with the help of other people. 
We don't have everything that we need on the inside of us. Now, we do have Christ, which is enough. But we all have our limitations in terms of what we're good and what we're not good at. But we have to rely on that that creative power that's on the inside of us to move us in the directions that are in alignment with the perfect plan of God. And, you know, for a long time, uh, I know myself, we give a lot of praise and admonition for the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, or the teacher. You know, you may have your favorite televangelist, which is fine. And we say, oh, my God, he's a great or prolific speaker or minister. He flows in the gifts of the spirit. And I've seen miracles happen, you know, under his ministry. But business owner, I need you to know that the same power that works in him to do what God has called him to do is available and at work in you to do what he's called you to do in the marketplace. Same gift, different function. Same anointing, different function. So although many of us are not, may not be called to the four walls of a church or may not be called to media or may not be called to these different avenues in which we see as quote-unquote ministry, but I need you to understand that ministry happens in the marketplace. You know, I find there are four primary categories of people. Number one, you have the, you have the employee or the entrepreneur. Because I don't, even though I'm an entrepreneur, um, I'm a, I'm an executive of a government contracting firm and a couple other serial ventures. So most of the time when I speak, I am talking to the entrepreneurial community. However, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an executive leader, an executive manager, a manager, line worker, it doesn't matter. An employee, I'm speaking to you because you're called to the business mountain. And although everyone may not be at the top of the business mountain, um, some of us are in supporting roles on that mountain. And I need you to understand that we've limited God to just religion. But there's seven spears in society. And if you want to take over an area, you have to take over all seven. And unfortunately, we've limited our Christian experience to just the church or just to religion. But we fail to include the business and economic mountain. We fail to include family. Uh, We fail to include arts and entertainment or celebration. We fail to include uh, media, which would be some of the evangelistic expressions. But that's just to give you a sample. We'll talk more about the seven mountains of society later. But I need you to know that Society is not just limited. Your Christian experience is not just limited to the to the four walls of a church. It's not. And oftentimes, many of us believe that in order for us to please God, that it means that I have to do something within the four walls of the church. And that's a very limited and very incomplete view of what God wants from you. But, you know, today I just want to talk about the Christian experience as an entrepreneur. I need you to have the Christian experience as an entrepreneur. I need you to not just think that God is pleased with you and you hit the the four walls of a building. It's so much deeper than that, y'all. You know, you got, you got, you go and you look at the, the gospels of Jesus. I was very surprised when I saw this. 
Jesus had a lot to say about business when you look at the parables he wrote in the scriptures. He talked about construction. He talked about winemaking, farming, treasure hunting, ranching, management and labor, family-owned businesses, hostile takeovers, return on investments, future markets, crop yields, management criteria, the need for observation and research, the misuse of money and bankruptcy, the advantage of leverage and venture capital in high-risk situations. Now, I've made all of these parables more modern day because oftentimes we get caught up when we start talking, we start reading the scriptures when we hear about the sheep and the oxen and the shepherds. But those were the entrepreneurs of their day. You know, and the disciples were well-to-do men. These were not poor people. Was it Luke, I believe, who was a doctor? Matthew, who was a tax collector? These were the titans of their day. You know, today we have Jeff Bezos. But, you know, you know, a lot of the disciples were fishermen. You know, the Captain D's, the Papa Do's, the Red Lobsters of your day. That's what those boys were doing. They owned seafood ventures. They owned fishing. They were, they, they were fishermen. They was the Jeff Bezos of their day. They were the high cotton of that, of that time. And if you go and you look at the scriptures, there were a lot of entrepreneurs in the Bible, wealthy, rich people who had the power of God operating on their lives. And so I don't need you to feel um, less equipped, less God-filled, less used because your role may not be in the four walls of a church building. You know, God is very concerned about your ability to transform the marketplace. And it's, it's, it's extremely imperative that we not limit our perspective of what it means to be a Christian in the marketplace to you know, the thing that you often hear and see, you see people leave, they'll go to seminary school, which is nothing wrong with any of these things. They'll go to seminary and then they'll say, um, you know, I believe I'm called of God to, to be a minister. But what I need you to understand is you can be a minister in the marketplace. And what I want to do just very briefly while I'm thinking about this, there's four levels or four different types of Christians, entrepreneurs, executives in the marketplace. So some think it's just enough to be a Christian in the marketplace, meaning they have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and, and, and that's enough. But, you know, they haven't made any transformation. Some people may know that they, they have a relationship with Christ. Some may not. They're just trying to blend in. They, 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 the Christian experience has not extended to anyone other than themselves. The number two, um, there's a Christians who apply biblical principles in the marketplace. So they may be a Christian and they say, well, okay, I'm a, I'm a operate legally, morally, ethically. I'm a do things right. And, um, I still believe that this business world is wicked and you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm uh, what's, what's the scripture they always use? I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. 
<laughs> so now let's get to level three. Um, this is a Christian who does business in the fullness and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this person is now starting to make impact. People know they're a Christian, may know they're saved, may know they have a relationship with, with Christ, and and you can tell it because they're getting results. But I think we should all try to get to what I'm calling the fourth level. Um, this is a this is a believer, um, someone who has a relationship with Christ, who's not just in the world, but is transforming either the organization, the department, the company, and in some cases, even the region in which they operate in. And I think as entrepreneurs, we need to be creating transformation. The, the organizations and the spheres of influence that we in should be better as a result. And, you know, these are just the conversations that I'm not hearing and seeing um, in the marketplace. You know, too many times we are limiting um, our experience to church. And if, if COVID taught us anything, a lot of us still are not able to congregate like we used to um, before COVID hit um, because of social distancing and, you know, the vaccination, the vaccination standards, whether, you know, you want to take the vaccine or not. I don't have any position on that. That is your personal choice. Um, but, you know, a lot of what we know is church prior to um, COVID has changed. So sometimes the only time people are going to see God is by you being a living epistle in the earth. So I have just made a personal decision um, that I am just not going to be a passive believer, a passive Christian. I may use those terms interchangeably. I'm not going to be a passive Christian, but I want to transform the areas in which I play. Now, that doesn't mean that every five minutes um, I'm preaching to someone. But I do believe that when you start getting results, I believe it demands attention. I believe people will come to you and say, well, how did you do such and such? At the end of the day, people follow results. You know, I often talk sometimes on, on stages because I spend some time on Clubhouse, not as much as of late. And I spend time on stages talking about leadership. But, you know, there's a few different ways to lead. You have um, positional leader. This is a leader that follows this, this, that's followed because of their title. Maybe they're a manager or department head or a C-level executive or the supervisor. And people follow them because of their position. Then you have people being followed. That's level one. Then you have people being followed based on permission. I give you permission to lead me. So because of, of maybe... Um, I got an opportunity to get to know you. Maybe you spent some one-on-one -on -one time together. For whatever reason, I give you permission to lead me. That's the second level. The third level is I may be following you just because you're an expert. You're good at what you do. So you may be a game changer in the area you play in. You know, you'll hear about people who go to companies because they want to work for manager X or they want to work for such and such. So they'll leave companies or they'll stay at a company because a certain personality is there and maybe their reputation precedes them. Number four, we follow reproducers. So we follow people who are able to turn around and duplicate themselves in us. So you may follow someone because they have the ability to reproduce themselves in other people. And in the fifth and highest level, it's pinnacle. I follow you because of who you are and what you represent. And I think in the marketplace, we need to, A, understand the five primary levels of leadership 
And then B, we need to use the client, use and incorporate those leadership principles to transform and disrupt the marketplace. You know, I believe we should get to a point in our lives as business executives and business leaders where um, we use the gifts of the spirit in their full manifestation to lead organizations, um, to lead divisions, lead departments, um, whatever your role may be. Or if you're an employee, I need you to understand that you just because you're not at the top of the organization, you can lead from anywhere in the organization. It does not mean that you have to have the title or you got to have a certain position to lead. It was I think it was my brother John Maxwell who wrote a book, 360 Degree Leadership. And the premise of that book, which I believe wholeheartedly, is that you can lead from anywhere in the corporation, title or not. Leadership is nothing more than influence. That is it at the end of the day, y'all. Leadership means influence. Can you convince people to follow you? Now, it's important to note that oftentimes leadership is gained a person at a time, typically. But, you know, you ask for, you get someone's heart first and they'll give you what's in their hand. But oftentimes we're asking for people to give us their hand and we haven't connected with their heart. But I need you to understand that most leaders develop their leadership one person at a time. Maybe it was a story. Maybe it was a speech. Maybe it was a kind gesture. Something convinced that person to allow you to lead them. And they, and because they were they allowed you to lead them, they, they exchanged, they, they accepted in your influence. They accepted your impartation, your wisdom into their lives. But I think we as Christians have been way too passive in the marketplace. So my goal for this podcast is to shake you up and say you can be a Christian um, businesswoman or businessman in the marketplace. And it's okay. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to have success. He wants you to have innovation. You know, People always ask me, well, Kurt, what is innovation? Innovation is nothing more than creativity and entrepreneurship colliding. If you have creativity and no entrepreneurship, you just you might just be good at what you do. And if you have entrepreneurship and no creativity, then how do you stand aside and differentiate yourself in the marketplace, I ask? You know, we have to start relaining and lying, relying on the Holy Spirit in the area of business so that God can help us shift and disrupt. He see the trends happening before we, before we see them happen. And I need you. So the reason why I call this the business profit podcast, I'm not saying that you are a prophet. I'm not saying that you are in the fivefold. What I am saying is you can be prophetic. Everyone can be prophetic. You can be prophetic and not be a prophet. You can be apostolic and not be an apostle. Being meaning you're called to the fivefold. I think, and I think it's in Ephesians, and then again in Second um, Corinthians, it talks about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And I often think we limit the fivefold to just the church. You can be you can be in the marketplace and still have an apostolic function. You know, the apostle's job is to go into new territories and break up the ground. Call him a pioneer. We see pioneers in the marketplace, whether you, whether you consider Jeff Bezos apostolic or not. You know, a lot of your apostles or apostolic graces may look like serial entrepreneurship. 
They're always going in the new, in the new territories. They're trendsetters. They're pioneers. These are your trailblazers. You can also see prophetic people in the marketplace. These are people who seem like they always understand the times and the seasons. Maybe they're culture creators and culture shifters. They understand the times and the fads, and they can ride the waves of what's happening in pop and popular culture. You may be evangelistic. Evangelistic may take the form of, of a media personality. Maybe you're a news anchor, or maybe you have a magazine company. You may be evangelistic, and you're spreading a message. But see, we've limited these. We've limited these offices to just the church. Or maybe you're pastoral, but you're not a pastor. So what, Kurt, what, what would pastoral look like in the marketplace? Well, maybe you are a school principal. And maybe your congregation is those school children. And then the teacher is the obvious one. Maybe you're a trainer or maybe you're a teacher, whether in um, post-secondary or secondary education, preschool, uh, teens. Uh, maybe you are at church. Maybe. But I'm using these examples just to tell you that you don't have to, the fivefold doesn't just operate in the marketplace. It doesn't. Now, some of you are apostles. Some of you are prophets. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you are pastors and teachers. Some of you are prophetic, may not be a prophet. Some of you are apostolic, but may not be apostles. Some of you are evangelistic and may not be an evangelist. I'm just saying. And then, you know, we, we go to the scriptures. We also see the different administrations. And the one that I want to talk about today just briefly is the, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of administration. So your counselors may have a spirit of counsel. I just need you to stop just looking at your Bible and always thinking it's related to the church. But you are the church. The church is in you. The Bible tells us that. So I'm going to calm down. But I get so passionate when I talk about these things because I think we're doing ourselves and our communities a disservice at the very moment that you believe that God wants to use you in your life. And you immediately think about seminary and providing some service to the church. Well, who's supposed to service everyone else? when some of the folks that you're going to come in contact with may never hit the four walls of a church building. God wants to reach them too. God cares about the poor as well as the rich. He does. But see, we get, we, we understand, you know, we see the scriptures. We, we're okay with people being healed and delivered and set free as long as they don't have a bunch of money. But God cares about Bill Gates. He cares about Jeff Bezos. He cares about Mark Zuckerberg. He cares about you. It's not about money. Matter of fact, to God, money is the least in the kingdom. Now, I didn't say he didn't want you to have it because he, he definitely wants you to have the bag. He wants you to be abundantly supplied. I'm reminded of the story about the, the, the three men with the talents, the one man with the one talent. And the one man with the two talents and the one man with the four talents. I'm honest. I honestly believe I honestly believe, oh, excuse me, had five, one, two, and five. I said four, one, two, and five. The, the, the gentleman with the one talent hid his in the ground and buried it. He didn't even get any, any interest off the, off the money. Talents were, um, 
you know, so many years of wages, I believe. So the the one talent man buried his in the earth, buried it, didn't do anything with it, and told and told a master, hey, I know you were a I know you were a shrewd and very wise businessman. Reaping where you have not sown. That's a bad boy. Then and the master says, You wicked servant, you could have at least have given my money to the bankers, to the money changers. So I could have at least gotten interest. I'm just making it modern day, y'all. Then you had the guy with the two talents. He took his, he went off, invested it, and brought back four. Got two, brought back four. And then you had the guy with the five talents. He did, he went in, he did business, and he turned his five talents into ten. Now, this is not talking about ability. This was money, y'all. This was money. So the the wicked servant, the one talent, the master told him, take your take your talent and give it to the one with the with the 10 because he had five. Now you got 10. So you got one who lost his two who now has four. And then the five talent man turned his into 10, doubled it. And now got one more. He got 11. So because of that, I do not believe I do not subscribe that everyone is going to be a multimillionaire or billionaire, but just like in that scripture, that parable where you had one talent, two talent, and five talents, and each with the ability to multiply. So shall it be in the earth, I believe. I believe you're going to have the one-talent man. I believe you're going to have the two-talent man, and I believe you're going to have the five-talent man, talent man or woman. I don't want to be gender-biased. But the, the question is, what are you going to do with the talent, the resources, the ability, the strategic partnerships that you have today? That's what I believe. I believe as we get God involved in our businesses and give God back these businesses, or maybe you don't have a business. Maybe you want one. God can birth the business on the inside of you. Maybe you say, well, I don't want no business. I, I'm, 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 I'm okay being vice president. I'm okay being program manager. I'm okay being um, lead supervisor. I'm okay being project engineer. That's fine too. That's fine too. But I believe God can bless you and whatever it is you're doing, whether whether you're the janitor. If you're the janitor, be the best janitor. I remember the quote from Martin Martin Luther King Jr. He said, if you're the sweet seat sweeper, be the best sweet street sweeper. And I believe that. I believe as people of God, which is I recognize who, who my audience is, I believe it's people of God who love God. I believe we should be to turn the world upside down. I believe we have to be the culture creators and stop being merely reactive to the to situations, but being proactive and creating situations. I believe that's extremely, um, I believe that's extremely important today. But you know, I just want to kind of tell you guys briefly, I think one of the things that really um, set me on a path to do the things that I'm doing today is I remember my dad giving me a piece of advice as a young man and really uh, my father's a pastor as many of you guys know st still he's a non-denominational pastor in Georgia and I believe the best advice my father gave me as a young man was to pray and get the wisdom of God regarding my career which I did and I believe God was leading me in the area of computer engineering now Today, that sounds like a no-brainer. But you got to remember when this was. This was pre, 
Facebook. This was pre-Google. No one knew at that time that the computers were going to dominate our future existence the way that it has today. So I'm in high school. Um, I'm in high school in the 90s. And I remember telling my, my mom that I wanted to be a computer engineer. I didn't know any computer engineers. I didn't know what one, one looked like. And the only definition I had of a computer engineer was the definition that I read in the encyclopedia because we had an encyclopedia set. And in E, when you go to engineering, which I did often, you saw tons of content regarding petroleum engineers. You know, these are your oil and gas guys. Re regarding civil engineers, these are the folks who typically build your bridges. Your mechanical engineers, these are the ones who roller coasters, cars, things that move. Your electrical engineers, these are the folks who, you know, work for power companies and do uh, power distribution and um, electrical grids and stuff like that. And then there was a blurb on computer engineer. And I remember telling my dad, I'm going to be a computer engineer. He said, boy, you don't know nothing about no computers, which was a true statement, by the way. Um. And because I did not exhibit a desire or an appetite for that, he immediately discounted it. Now, I'm not telling he he's wrong because I think any parent, you tell your, your parents you want to you do something and they don't see any quote-unquote interest in that, they're going to assume that's just a, a great idea you have, but I don't see that because I don't see the interest there. I mean, he wasn't wrong. Um, we had a computer in the home. I wasn't, the, I wasn't the neighborhood kid who was building computers and uh, all of that. Um, I remember getting a job in high school through the school to work program that my mom helped me get when I told her I wanted to be an engineer. She did what any good mom would do, which is she found a program. And it just so happened that my school had created a relationship with the Department of Energy, uh, specifically Westinghouse. And I was employed by Westinghouse in high school, 17 years of age. I had a block schedule. I went to Westinghouse two days a week uh, on my block schedule, and I went to class the other days. And I had done very well in school, so it, as a senior, um, I was taking extra classes because I didn't need those classes to graduate. So I had a pretty strong load. I'm taking things like pre-calculus and probably English four, and you know, I'm doing what was necessary. And I was a I was a decent student. Um, yeah, I was a decent student. I don't think I became a great student to college, but I was a decent student. I had good grades. I did my work. Um, school came very easily for me. Um, I, I wasn't the person who had to spend tremendous amount of time studying to make good grades. So I had natural ability in that, in that regard. But um, that, that, that job, I ended up working different areas within, this, within the Department of Energy as a contractor, um, might I add all the way through graduation of college. I co-opted my way through college. And I remember graduating from college in 2003 from the University of South Carolina with a computer engineering degree and realizing that the job that I thought was going to be able to hire me after I graduated from college was on a hiring freeze. And uh, so I had to go back and look for an opportunity. And I was hopeful that I was going to be able to work at Savannah Riverside. Uh, I didn't even back then have an idea of what God really wanted to do in my life at that time. You know, oftentimes we follow God. We don't always get this, this long playbook. 
you know, oftentimes we follow him step by step, like a, a blindfolded priest walking through the temple. You know, back in those days, you know, there wasn't the lighting probably witness good. So, you know, like a blindfolded priest feeling his way through, it's kind of how I was. It's kind of probably how you are. Maybe God gave you a plan or showed you something or whispered something to you, or maybe you just know something and no one told you. You just feel like I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you may not have all the play by play. Neither did I. So I thought getting this brand new shiny computer engineering degree, I was working in the engineering group. You know, I didn't start off there. Uh, maybe we'll have that conversation a different day. I didn't start off in an engineering group, but I migrated to the engineering group over time. I started out doing computer technician support. They told me early on I wasn't good at it, which is fine. <laughs> Got there, started off doing computer technician work, moved to document control. We end up transforming the whole document control center by going digitizing products. This is back in the 90s, guys. Not today. So back then we were digitizing products, scanning, creating scanners, um, creating, um, scanning, uh, developing scanning systems, and actually putting uh, scan products on CD. This was revolutionary stuff in the 90s. Today, it's like, okay, that's no big deal. I mean, now you can go to Staples and make a copy and scan, scan it and send it to yourself via email. But this is back in the 90s. So, um, you know, I thought naively that when I graduated, I was going to be able to stay um, in Augusta, Georgia, and keep working at Savannah Riverside. But they were on a hiring freeze. So this comfort zone that I had created, um, I wasn't going to be able to um, recognize. As a matter of fact, when I came, when I graduated from college, I took a pay, a pay cut. How do you make more money in college than you're making now that you got a full-time job with a degree where they do that at but that's what happened to me and you know I, I remember going back to University of South Carolina for a, a job recruitment fair and there was an agency there called the Space and Naval Warfare System Center I had never heard of it but I met my friend there um, who was a semester behind me at the job fair he said you need to look at this company and I said what about them he started telling me my friend Chris he started telling me about the company. He had heard of them before. This was a government agency. I had never heard of them before. And he said, oh, man, this is a great company. So he applied, I applied. I eventually got a call back from the organization. Now, if you know anything about federal employment, it, the process does not move very quickly. So I applied maybe back in March. Probably didn't get a phone call back until maybe got a call back a few weeks later. But it was some time before I even got hired. And that was a process in and of itself. They forgot I didn't get invited up to the interview. I called them. I remember my interview. I remember his name. I could call his name right now, but I'm not. And uh, I will. His name was Ron Alley. And Ron Alley was one of the recruiters at the at the job fair. And he he called me. And this was, you know, we had cell phones. But um, I remember calling him back because a few months had went by and I had never heard, I had not heard from him again. He told me that he was going to invite me to the, um, to the interview process. I called him up in some kind of way. I remind him who I am. He said, Oh man, I'm glad you called. Matter of fact, we're doing the recruitment fair. Um, it was like in a few days. And if you get there, I can't get you a flight or any of that because you know, Short notice, we, we just can't turn it around that fast. But if you can be there, I'll get you an interview. I remember going to the interview, 
And I remember my, my, my interviewer, his name was John Four, an amazing gentleman. Um, I th- he might still be there or he, maybe he's retired, but uh, we, we went through the, re- the interviewing process and I remember um, him asking me questions and uh, about just me, you know, what did I like? Um, what did I do in my spare time? What was my favorite subject in class? Uh, you know, how did I like it at USC? And he was a Clemson guy. So he, you know, he gave me the USC versus Clemson jokes. If you know anything about um, college rivalries, University of South Carolina, the Gamecocks, the state rival is the Clemson Tigers. He was a Clemson guy. I was a, 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 uh, uh, I was a USC Gamecock guy. So, you know, there's always a nice little love hate relationship when those things happen. But I remember going to the interview and I remember the young lady I was dating at the time who ended up becoming my wife asked me, how did the interview go? And I said, I don't know. She said, what you mean? You don't know. I said, he didn't ask me any um, probing questions. He just asked me a bunch of, uh, you know, general questions about me. I was expecting to talk about my, you know, my capstone design project and all the cool things we had done and how I could be valued. Now, mind you, before getting to this interview, I had already been on a few other interviews going to like the second and third rounds of the interviews thinking I'm going to get hired and not get, not get hired. And, uh, so this time I'm like, it wasn't the, the probing interview that I thought, but you know, that's the job I got. And the money that I got was more money than I would have gotten had I stayed in Aiken, South Carolina, which is where Department of Energy was located at, had I stayed in Aiken, South Carolina, I I remember the experiences that job gave me. Now, I'm talking about trusting God and hearing from God about your career choices and the amount of exposure it gave me. It put me in a position where I became the liaison from Spaywar to the Assistant Secretary of the Navy's Chief Engineering office so asn assistant secretary of the navy for research development acquisition chief engineering office we called it the asn rda chain i became i ended up becoming the liaison to that for that office so i would go back and forth between my hometown and the washington navy yard from that position i went to um to be the lead for my organization with the ballistic missile defense system in partnership with the missile defense agency mda from that um, I had a mentor who, who helped guide me. I ran, I did some stuff on the teleport program. I ended up kind of serving the, 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 uh, let's call him the acting chief of operations with a BRAC action. A BRAC action is a base realignment and closure action, a BRAC action down in Pensacola, Florida, where we were moving data centers. I mean, the, the experience that that gave me was earth shattering. It was through that experience that I met an entrepreneur, young gentleman at that time, I won't call his name, an entrepreneur at the time who was the first real multimillionaire that I had ever met. And that's probably, that relationship is what put me on the path to make the millions of dollars that I've been able to make today through that relationship. But this would have never come to being had I not heard the wisdom of God back in 1994, when I'm asking God, what should I major in? Had I not had obedience back then and moved out in faith, courage uh, on what I heard back then, these things 
I probably wouldn't be, you probably wouldn't be listening to me today. But I met a gentleman probably around about 2007 through that, through this job who planted the seed of entrepreneurship on the inside of me. This gentleman had a high school diploma, had served in the Navy, um, was embedded in the intelligence community, left Navy service. Now I was working for the Department of Navy, Spay War. They've now changed the name to Nav War, the Naval, uh, the Naval Information Warfare System Center, what they call themselves today, Nav War. But they were called the organization formerly known as the Space and Naval Warfare System Center is where I worked. And in that job, moving up through the ranks, um, I, I met this gentleman. And this gentleman changed the paradigm of my life forever. And you say, well, well, how did he do that? He let me see that entrepreneurship was possible. He was the first gentleman that I met who looked like me. I'm African-American male, black male, whatever you want to classify me as. And I remember him coming into my office. And I remember at the time I was working for that same manager who hired me which I did end up going to work for initially. I, I got to the company working for the chief engineer for communications. So check that out. I get hired by, I get interviewed by one person. I get placed with the chief engineer of communications office. So I'm supporting his team. I go to the ASN RDA Chang's office. I'm, I'm, I'm reporting to like the number three guy in the Navy as a liaison between Spay War and the assistant secretary of the Navy's office. I go from that office to the missile defense agency office um, running the ballistic missile defense system for my organization. Then I go from that office to the cyber division. And in the cyber division, I, I start working for the guy who hires me. And while in that role, I meet an, a gentleman who's an entrepreneur, probably about I don't know, five, six years older than me. And we developed relationship. And I never forget this. I remember one day we were talking about entrepreneurship and he was telling me how it was possible and all of this great stuff. And I remember, and I remember him um, trying to get a contract at Spaywood, which I helped him do. Um, we didn't do anything illegal, immoral, or unethical. And I remember in cultivating this relationship with him, I remember one day being at the mall in, the, in my hometown. We developed a true friendship. And I remember him being in the hometown um, that I was living in at the time, coming to the mall. And this is back in the, you know, mid-2000s. And he's in there buying Crown Holder. And if you know anything about Crown Holder, the hip-hop community was buying Crown Holder back in the late 2000s. You know, a pair of jeans is about 600, shirts 300. I'm watching him go through the mall spending this money. And I remember him needing to go back to the ATM for whatever reason. And I remember him pulling his ATM slip after he got his withdrawal. And why did he show it to me? I don't know. Maybe God led him. Maybe he, I don't, I don't know what his reasoning was, but he showed it to me. And if I, if I remember vividly, and I don't want to exaggerate numbers, there was probably about 200 and some odd thousand dollars in that bank account that day. And he handed it to me. He showed it to me. And I looked at it. It's about 200 and some odd, between 200,000 and 225,000. First of all, I had never seen that much money on the slip before in my life. And at this point, I'm probably in my mid, I'm in, I'm in my mid to late 20s. And I just stared at it. He looks at me. He says, little brother, that's what he called me. We developed, we developed friendship at this point. He says, that's just one of my accounts. And he said, if I did this, 
you can do it too. Cause I, at this point I had expressed to him my desire to potentially try to um, be an entrepreneur, but he didn't know how to get started. And he had wrote a book. He was a Christian entrepreneur. He had wrote a book and in the book, in the back of the book was a checklist. And I started following the checklist and God started giving me vision for what I am now doing today. And in 2010, I left my government job, my safe, secure government job where I had name recognition and I stepped out in faith and I started the company we have today. And a year later, me and my wife combined were making more money in a month than we were making in a whole year. I think that following year, so I left my job in 2010, knees shaking, left, left longer, <laughs> heard the voice of God in September. Uh, October comes, October 2010. And I remember one day my, my friend, Ryan Yerudi, walking to my office. Um, Ryan Yerudi, you may hear this and might call me as a result of hearing this. He walks into my office and said, Brother Curtis, when are you going to obey God? Now, I, I knew I was supposed to quit my job. Sometimes we know we're supposed to do things where we just get stalled by fear and unbelief of that thing that we know God is leading and calling us to do. And on the heels of that thing, it looked crazy. My wife had been, um, my wife at the time, um, had been downsized from her company. Her company went through an emerging acquisition. If you know anything about mergers and acquisitions, the acquiring company typically already has their own back office. So this is your HR, your accountants, your um, contract managers, all those people, they're typically, in the, they're typically already in the company. So they hire the new company or they keep the, they have two. So Renee, my, my, my late spouse, who's in heaven now, um, she was let go. This was in 2009. She was let go. 2010, God started dealing with me about quitting my job and going full time with this company. And I remember talking to my spouse at the time saying, hey, I need you to go back to work because we had built a lifestyle that was dependent on two six-figure earners. And things were being very uncomfortable. She says, no, um, I'm not going back to work. You're the next person and the last person I'm going to work for because God has called you to entrepreneurship. And I'm like, man, man, I hear you, but I need, <laughs> I need you to go back to work. We got kids in private school. We have a fairly new home at the time. Um, you know, new vehicles, ma'am, I, I need you to go back to work. And things were tight because again, you know, six, a six figure income is gone and it's just me. And although I don't think we lived uh, an extravagant lifestyle, it's comfort, it's comfort when you got two people working. So things were tight. We, I mean, we were making it, but we didn't have the extra flexibility financially that we used to have. And any money you got saved up when a whole uh, check goes away and it's not being replenished. It doesn't take long for you to, you to burn through that money. And I remember telling me, no, I'm not, I'm not going to work. So I started going on the, I started looking for jobs for her. She wouldn't go to the interviews and she says, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to work. God called you to entrepreneurship and you're the next per I'm not working for anyone other, other than you. I'm frustrated. It's causing challenges at home. 
And I'm like, okay. Time goes on. God's still dealing with me about this entrepreneurship thing. And I'm saying, you know, you know, it's amazing we create a plan and then the plan falls apart. And but yet God still is pushing us to step out on faith in what he told us and re- and find assurance in that. And maybe maybe you, you know, maybe you've been downsized because of COVID. Or maybe something has went left in your life and you're saying, God, I heard what you said. You know, I, I feel you're leading. I feel like God's leading me in this direction. But, man, this all this looks crazy. That, that's, <laughs> that has the fingerprints of Jehovah on it. Because at the end of the day, he wants to get the credit from what it is that you're doing in the earth. He doesn't want you to say, hey, I did this on my own. That was my story. So 2010 comes. and um, I knew I was supposed to quit my job in September of 2010, but can I just be honest, y'all? I got, I was afraid. I got in fear. Fear hit me. And I didn't see how I was going to obey God. I didn't know when I was going to get paid. I didn't know any of that, any of that. But you're telling me to quit my job. My wife is already at home. These kids are still in school. I mean, God, really? And I'll never forget that day, Ron Yerudia comes in my office and asks me, all these things are going on around me. No one knows this but me and my wife. Only one knows. I'm, talk- I'm contemplating quitting. And I believe God's leading me to quit. So anybody who's listening to me, if you have a spouse and you're thinking about making a major decision, I don't believe God's going to tell you to do something that your wife is not going to have a piece about as well. And if she, Because I don't think God's going to create division in your home. So. Don't just hop up and say, I'm quitting my job because God told me. I don't, I don't, I believe you should operate in some wisdom and some discernment and make sure your wife's going to be on board with this. But my wife was on board and, <laughs> and I wanted her to go back to work. But I, I remember the gentleman comes back in my office, comes in my office it was late one day. It's a Thursday night. And he tells me, he says, uh, brother Curtis, he was a Christian. He knew I was a Christian. Um, we had spent time together. I knew he was a, a businessman who had sold a couple of businesses and was doing some consulting for the, for the agency, specifically for a couple of department heads that I knew personally. And he says, Brother Curtis, when are you, you going to do, when are you going to obey God? You, you were supposed to have left this company a long time ago. Are you going to obey God or not? And I sat there in my chair after hearing what he said and said, wow. Now, it felt like five minutes I sat there, but it probably wasn't that long. It was probably a few seconds, probably a couple minutes at most. But the weight of what he said just left me sitting in my chair. And I, I ran out the door to go find him. The parking lot was empty. I called his cell phone. He didn't answer. Shortly after I get back to my desk, I pick, I pack my things up and I drive home. And I tell my wife what happens to me. She had the most beautiful eyes. She looked at me and she says, well, baby, what are you going to do? Are you going to obey God or not? I, I, shook my, I shook my head in the north-south motion. I said, I'm going to go with God on this one. No idea, no idea, y'all, how I was going to make it. I would love to tell you that, wow, just like a 
with a snap of the finger, everything in my life immediately got all right. It didn't. That was September. No, no, excuse me. October of 2010. She, she don't have a job. And in two weeks, I'm not going to have a job. Now, what had happened in the interim that I did not share, we had won a contract because I was working. Even while I was working, I was working on trying to get this company up and rolling. But I didn't know what any of that meant, you guys. I didn't know how I was going to get paid, when I was going to get paid. I had never been an entrepreneur before. Now, what I was doing in the interim while God was speaking to me, I was preparing. You know, at the time I was living in Charleston, South Carolina, and so I had enrolled in an MBA program at the Citadel in 2008. When I felt God lead me, and I'm not telling you to go get a degree, but I'm telling you what God was telling me to do. I went and enrolled in the MBA, MBA program at the Citadel. And so I was taking, you know, accounting and strategic management and operations and marketing classes all this time. But at some point, you got to move out on the things you've learned. You know, I was technically done with my, I was going to be done with my degree in December of 2010. It's October. And I'm like, okay. So now I have to take and move out and have faith in what God has led me to do. And of course, you know, my job paid for my, for my degree, at least most of it. Um, when I knew that I was leaving, I stopped letting them pay for it. And, you know, I didn't want to have an obligation to the company. So I knew the rules and, you know, I governed myself accordingly. So most of my master's in business was paid for by, you know, Uncle Sam. But even with all of that, it still didn't didn't erase the uncertainty. It still didn't erase the feelings of fear. But let me tell you something, guys. I left, I left, and I had a bunch of questions. We started doing the things we needed to do to get those, those contracts moving. Uh, it did not all jump off right away. Um, it, was, it was a lean Christmas that summer, that, 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 uh, that, that year, not summer that winter and this year my parents went all out because I didn't have the resources to give my kids a great Christmas, but they had one. And I believe it was just a, a, I believe it was just God intervening on my behalf. And they went up and above that year for Christmas for my children. So my children didn't even understand anything was happening, but let me fast forward because we almost at our time that year, guys, we went into November. November, we got our first employee on the books. I didn't even have the money to pay him. And he flew himself to the destination, was in training, and lit, uh, later called me up one day, say, hey, by the way, um, when do I get paid? I said, oh, um, we're going to pay you, sir. I had just figured out how to, how to pay him. We learned about this term called factoring, where I could sell my invoices back to a financing company to make my payroll. So. January, no money. February, we figure out how to how to factor our first invoice. And the invoice was twelve thousand, but most of that wasn't my money. It belonged to the employees. We paid him and and then we lived off the off the rest, which was not enough. March comes along, still another twelve thousand, but we, we're in the process of hiring a couple more people. It's twenty eleven, March. April come around, I didn't went from twelve thousand a month. February, I'm at 12000 March, I'm at about 36000 a month. Uh-oh, favors, favors working. 
I go from 36,000 a month, fast forward to May, I'm at about 60,000 a month now. I need you to understand that when those numbers go up, y'all, those means that people are coming on board and now I'm able to invoice because I was in a services-based business at that time. I'm able to invoice off the off of the uh, increases in labor. So I go from 45 to 60, from 60 to 90, from 90 to 120, and around September, almost a year later, I was making $194,000 a month. That was in 2011. I finished 2011 at $1.4 million. That ain't bad for the boy who grew up on free and reduced lunch. 2012, I go from 1.4 to 2.4. 2013, I go from 2.4 to 2. And then the number just kept going up, y'all. But, you know, along that path, things happened. You know, I lost my spouse in 2014 um, through a terminal disease. And, uh, you know, I talked about in a previous episode how I had to trust God to bounce back. And people had counted me out and said, oh, I don't know if he's going to rise back to the power to the top again. But I, I see here I report to you today that God has been faithful in my life. And God has shifted me into some other areas. And I'm now making money that I never thought I could make in a year. But, you know, we'll talk later in future episodes about how God will shift you, how God will let you know that this contract's going away, so prepare. That's what we're talking about. How do we invoke the kingdom of God in our businesses? But I just want to pray real quick for you guys as we get ready to close this episode out. Father, I thank you, Father, for all of the listeners today. I thank you, Father, that something that I've said is penetrating, picked up prick their hearts so they'll begin to move out in you like never before i thank you lord you give them supernatural wisdom insight revelation knowledge regarding next steps and i thank you father every crooked place in their lives father you will make them straight father for your benefit and for your glory and i thank you father you'll show them how to transform the marketplace and I thank you, Father, you give them influence in their ears, the favor of God or follow them as a shield. And the first thing people will come into contact, Father, will be their favor shield. I thank you, Father, you give them wisdom, revelation, knowledge, supernatural insight like never before. I thank you, Father, when they walk, you'll speak to them in the night watches. You lead them, you'll guide them. You'll download supernatural instructions on the inside of them, Father, like never before. I thank you, Father, you'll give them peace. They will not have the spirit of fear, but they'll have the power and of love and of a sound mind. And I thank you, Father, everything they set their hands to, Father, it'll prosper in the earth like never before. I thank you, Father, you give them a supernatural endowment of you. And I thank you, Father, you walk with them in a very real way. You won't speak to them in, in vague impressions, but you'll speak to them clearly. You'll give them wisdom, knowledge, supernatural insight. I decree and declare they have the wisdom and power of God. They have the mind of Christ. Greater is he that's on the inside of them than he that's in the world. I speak to the king and the queen on the inside of them. For the men, I speak to the king. For the women, I speak to the queen on the inside of you and say that you must arise and take your rightful place in the marketplace. 
And Lord, we thank you, Father, they allow you to reign supreme in their lives like never before. And Lord, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode. Until next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Profit Podcast. Please share, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment so others like you can find this podcast too. If you would like to connect with me, please use the links in the show notes to connect with me on all social media platforms. I welcome the opportunity to hear from you. Have a blessed week. Until next time.